Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, September the 13th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and continue to connect the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus as we, unfortunately, end our time in the book of Hebrews. Yesterday, we were reminded of the importance of hospitality, keeping the marriage bed pure, remembering your spiritual leaders, and to bring sacrifices of praise to the Lord. And the author ends his letter today like any standard epistle that was written in the Bible and many, many other epistles. Um, It's just something that we have a tendency to just finish it and be done with it and move on to the next book. But today, we will slowly go through and unpack the riches that our Lord gives to us as we pray that the Holy Spirit leads us, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy of having with us Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Also, one of the authors of one of my favorite books and Bible studies, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up from Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Richard, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thanks, Brady. It's good to be here. Now, Pastor, you've been on Thy Strong Word before, but this is our first time together. So can you tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at St. Paul's? Yeah, it's good to be back on here again. Uh, I'm serving up at uh, St. Paul's Lutheran Church uh, here in Minot, North Dakota. Minot is about, uh, it's about an hour just south of the Canadian border. So we're uh, kind of the, the the upper portion of North Dakota. And so I've been married to my wife, uh, Serenity, for 22 years. And uh, we have four children, uh, ranging from ages uh, six, let's see if I get this right, six, 12, 14, and 17. And so uh, St. Paul's, uh, we're located downtown here in Minot, North Dakota, uh, right downtown. A wonderful congregation, just 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 wonderful. So I get an opportunity to be back in my my home area. Uh, went to college here back once upon a time, and so I've been here about three years now. So when I got the opportunity to come back to mine, and I jumped at it to get back to the uh, kind of the home territory where where my wife and I grew up in this area. Now, Pastor, you also um, like I mentioned the book that you wrote, which is a real blessing to me and my congregation here at Messiah. But also, you have another book coming out soon. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's a brand new book will be uh, hitting the shelves, I guess, next Tuesday, uh, September 7th, I believe. And uh, it's a book titled this Gospel Filled Devotions. Uh, it's Minute Messages. Excuse me, I should back up. The, the main ma- main name of the book is called Minute Messages. And the subtitle is Gospel Filled Devotions for Every Occasion. And uh, long story short, what ended up happening is through a lot of my hospital visits and visits with my shut-ins, I kind of came to realize I was always struggling trying to find a devotional uh, to read to them. So when I was in the hospitals, especially, what I struggled with was I'd find a doctrinally sound devotional booklet, but typically the devotions were so incredibly long um, that oftentimes I would actually lose people. You could see they're in the bed. They just really couldn't focus or they were in pain. They couldn't really listen for that length of time. So then I did find some other devotional booklets that were much, much smaller. But uh, the problem was with the smaller uh, amount of content, uh, it tended to be a little bit more fluffy. Uh, I'm not sure to be disrespectful by any means, but it was very, very light. 
and I thought to myself, you know, there's got to be a devotional out there uh, that has uh, a very succinct message, very, very short, about a minute long, but also packs a punch. And, uh, and I looked and I looked and I looked and finally I just said to myself, well, geez, I'll just, I'll just write one myself. And uh, <laughs> I tossed the idea over to CPH and I didn't really think they'd jump at it. And they said, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. And so the challenge, the challenge of the book was um, submitting the manuscript to them and I would submit it to them and it was like 42, 43,000 words. They're like, nope, needs to be shorter, Matt. And so I shortened it and I sent it back. Nope, needs to be even shorter again. And oh my goodness, that was so painful trying to make it as short as can be. But each devotional uh, follows the church calendar for the whole year of the church. Um, and then there's also a devotional for every part of the catechism. And the very back has an appendix of various devotionals for different occasions, such as weddings, um, funerals, uh, so forth. So the, 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 the goal of it is each devotional should be read uh, about a minute long. It has a one uh, sentence prayer. And then the verse up top is, is literally, it's, it's up to maybe even half of a verse. So the, the goal is to be succinct and to the point, kind of like, a, kind of like an espresso, right? Mm-hmm. We have coffee, espressos, they're, they're, you know, not a lot of liquid, but it packs a punch. <laughs> well, you know, it sounds to me like, well, one, this will be a great blessing to the church, uh, to uh, people, especially pastors, as we uh, visit people, especially during COVID, where sometimes you're not really allowed to lag, um, be a perfect way to pack a punch. Also, my question is, could you fit a daily devotion on a tweet? Would it fit into one single tweet? What do you think? You know, I, I don't use a lot of Twitter. I'm trying to think how many characters in Twitter. I can't remember what it is now. 200 something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, man, I, I think they expanded it. It used to be like, I think 130, but they expanded. So each devotional is approximately 200, 200 words a devotional. So I actually, you know, when I started writing this, I went on there and I'm, I'm, I'm researching like, how fast do we talk? And believe it or not, our, our, our voice on the inside of our head when it comes to reading on the inside of your head is a lot faster. Uh, we can do about 180 words a minute in our head. We're speaking. We're about 100 to 10, 120. So, so mm-hmm. I should I should note that these devotionals are are basically for head reading. So somebody goes, well, that was more than a minute. You know, it was a minute and a half. Well, if you do it out loud, it's a little bit longer. But in your head, it's going to be about a minute long. So it's science. It's science. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so uh, tell us the name of that again. Yeah, the the name of the book is called Minute Messages. And the, the title underneath is Gospel-Filled Devotions for Every Occasion. And uh, again, it's following the church calendar uh, for the whole entire church year. And then also the small catechism, a devotional. And so uh, succinct and right to the point. Wonderful. Once again, check for Concordia Publishing House. September 7th is when that will be available and a blessing it will be. Pastor, as we begin our time together today, can, we, can, you, can you begin our time asking the Lord's blessings upon our study and prayer? Yes, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we pray that you sanctify us in your truth. We thank you that your word is eternal truth for us. Thank you for the testimony and the proclamation of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we look at this, Pastor, I want to start this way. We are, we are at the end of Hebrews chapter 13. So I want to read verses 17 until the end, and then come back and give some of your introductory thoughts on the end of, well, the whole book, because there, like I said, there's a lot, every chapter 
we could probably spend two or three episodes on because there is so much. And so I want to read through it and come back just so we're able to get taste, wet our palate a little bit and be able to dig in. So we're starting in verse 17, chapter 13 of Hebrews. A reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with every good good that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Now, Pastor, as we get to the end of chapter 13, a lot happened prior um, to these verses. How do you want to start us off that we can start off on the right foot? You know, right away, verse 17, uh, you see, obey the ones leading you and uh, submit to them. So I think the, the obvious you know, question would be, or who are these ones leading? And uh, so if you just start off in verse 17, uh, you may not pick up on this, but but if you look in the whole context, you look at verse 7, uh, which I'm assuming maybe you covered this in the previous couple of weeks uh, or previous episodes, but you see back in verse 7 there of chapter 13, uh, the author says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. And so when we think of these leaders, we think of, you know, pastors and ministers and teachers, those who who proclaim and impart uh, the the eternal truth, uh, the word of God to us, uh, pouring that into our ears. And so right here in verse 17, we're told to obey, um, to follow, to to rely, to trust upon uh, the leading ones, the ones that are leading us. And then the author says to submit to them, uh, to yield, uh, to, to give up to them. Uh, it, it's a quite profound thing, especially in our modern day and age where we have such a distrust of, of, of those in authority, uh, distrust of those who are above us. We have this kind of American spirit where, at least I know I have it here in North Dakota. If somebody tells me what to do from leadership, I'm like, well, I'm a North Dakota boy. You, know, you don't tell me what to do. You know, there's this, <laughs> this, this reaction that we can get towards uh, those in leadership. Yet here in Hebrews um, verse 17, uh, we're, we're called to obey, uh, to follow, to rely, to trust the leading ones. And then not only to obey them, but to submit to them, to yield to them. And so as we look at the ending, we have that, and then we have a, a number of other uh, um, thoughts of benediction and final greetings. And when we get to the end of the epistle, tell us about how sometimes we get to the end of a book, and we're just kind of, of a book of the scriptures, and we just kind of want to run through it quickly. Why is it important for us to take our time as we look at the verses throughout the rest of, uh, in the end of Hebrews chapter 13? Well, you know, it's, it's oftentimes like, even like with a movie, you know, you, you kind of just want to get to the very end. And, and uh, sometimes, you know, when it comes to movies or books and so forth, you have 
some of the credits that come afterwards. Um, and so then you can kind of just, well, you know, grab your coat and put your popcorn away and kind of want to head out the door. Uh, but here, I, I think it's very, very interesting to, to, to see that these are the last words that the author is writing uh, to the readers of, of, of Hebrews here. And, and what does he say? You know, in verse 24, he says, greet all of your leaders and all of the saints, those who come from Italy, send your greetings. And then I love this, grace be with all of you. Now, it could have been ended with just simply saying ciao or, you know, have a good day. But there's an imparting. <laughs> there's an imparting. Yeah, how would you like that? Yeah, ciao. Uh, uh, take care. Yeah. Uh, but but there's there's an imparting of, of grace. Uh, grace be with you. Uh, you know, we, we have to consider, too, that that when these letters were written on this uh, papyrus paper back in the day, uh, writing was was expensive. You know, right now we can make a copy for what, you know, a penny. You can just hit click on a computer and print off a, it takes a whole penny. But back in that day, I mean, it was expensive to write and, and ink was expensive and it was a challenge to do. Uh, but yet the last words were what? Uh, grace be with you all. And not only that, but I think it's also quite fitting back in verse 20. We have this great, great section here. Uh, the God of peace. I love that. The God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Ah, that's just great. And especially it was talking with leadership, talking about the great shepherd and, 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 and one who shepherds his sheep rightly and adequately and with uh, grace and integrity. And it really is, that's a, a great way to put it. He ends it with a, 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 an extra blessing. You get the benediction, final greetings, and he gives another one um, right at the end. And I, I think about this, that when I once had a call to a congregation, um, I've been here at Messiah for 11 years, one of our blessed members took us out to eat. And, and it, they said, no, this is not for us to try to influence you. It's simply us giving thanks you being our pastor and, and saying the Lord be with you as you decide like okay so we have dinner and it was wonderful and we got to the end and the, the the husband said to us the Lord be with you and then and then we left and I'll never forget that because that reminds me of this um, what Dr. John Kleinig says is like a it's like a long sermon a sermon of sermons a, a combination of a lifelong of preaching was put all into Hebrews 1 through 13. And that very last blessing is a powerful force, I think, for us as we look back um, to remind us of the blessing that the Lord gives, a gospel enactment, I think you would probably say it, um, upon God's people. So I like how you definitely highlighted that and why we are going through this slowly. Any last thoughts before we dig in a few verses at a time? You know, it, 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 uh, to bring up my wife here, uh, and she doesn't even realize it, uh, she'll probably be frustrated with me mentioning her. <laughs> Mentioning her anyway, but you know, it, it's 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 like when the kids go to school or the kids go to a football game, um, or they go to their friends, um, they leave the house. One of the things she says in our house over and over and over, it's short. You know, she'll she'll come up and she'll say, "Okay, when you get there, you're gonna give a call. Uh, where are you going? Where are you gonna be back? Uh, what are you doing? Who are you hanging out with?" So they get, they get the full interrogation first, and 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 then we get all the details organized. And then usually when they're walking out the door, she says to our kids, you know, Matthias or, or, or Anya, you know, she'll yell out at them and, and, and they stop and they're kind of like, ah, here's mom, what, what? And she says, remember who you belong to. And that's it. Remember who you belong to. And that's basically, hey, you're baptized. You're, you're the baptized. You belong to Jesus. And it also means you're, you're my kid. I love you. So it has multiple meanings for our kids. That, number one, they know that, hey, 
I'm, I'm, I belong to my mom, dad, they love me. And they also know when she says that I'm baptized, I belong to Jesus. So no matter what happens, if it's a fun time with the friends or a bad time, or if there's ridicule, it's that last word that they hear when they leave the door, remember who you belong to. And that's great. Grace be with all, all of you. Just, it, it's an imparting, a short imparting. And that's the thing too. You know, when we think about the gospel, the gospel does not have to be some long exhortation. The power, the power of the gospel is not, not contained in lengthy words. It's, it, it, it's the, it's, it's what it is. And so like we think of the words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished, you know, period, done. It's done. You're forgiven. Uh, it's a short word that uh, has lasting, uh, lasting blessings. Well, let's dig back into that word, starting in verse 17. We'll just read 17 and be able to really dig into this, because I think this is important, and I know this is important. Uh, pa uh, Pastor Richard and I have spoken prior to this, because, okay, obey your leaders, but what if the leaders aren't being faithful? Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So, Pastor, you, you alluded to this. You, you highlighted it in a short way. Let's start with the positive. So obey your leaders. Um, why should we obey our spiritual leaders as, as he speaks for us to do and submit to them? Yeah, that's a good question as we, we, we consider this. Um, we obey our leaders. Uh, we follow. Again, that word obey is to follow, to rely, to trust um, our leaders. And the reason being is the leader himself, uh, the leader, the leader themselves are intended to look out, to keep watch for us. And so, I mean, it really comes back down to uh, also marriage in a lot of ways. Um, I, I was just talking to a, a couple in my church the other day, and we're talking, getting ready for the wedding, talking about how the man will make his vows first. And I said, there's a reason for the man making the vows first, that the man is vowing to his beloved wife that he's going to what? Suffer and die and bleed and do everything possible uh, to protect and serve her. And then once the uh, woman hears that, hey, I got a guy standing across from me in front of God's altar, in front of all these people, and he's vowing to sacrifice his whole life, uh, to bleed and to die and to suffer on my behalf. Absolutely, I'll submit to that guy. I'll submit to him. Absolutely. He'll, he'll do everything for me. He's going to go to the ends of the earth. And it's the same thing with a leader. Uh, we should have no problem uh, following, relying, and trusting in a leader, a person who's going to watch out on our behalf, which is really covered later on in this verse. They're keeping watch on behalf of our souls. And so to have a leader who, who cares for me, that's going to essentially uh, be that good shepherd uh, who's going to bleed and to die, uh, to fight off the wolves uh, for me, uh, my goodness, uh, gladly follow that kind of leader, gladly trust in that kind of leader, gladly pray for them and yield myself to them. Uh, when I know that they're going to keep watch to protect me. It tells us in James chapter 3, it basically talks about how those who are under shepherds will have to give an account. And this is this is pretty serious stuff. I mean, this is something that I have to be reminded of as a pastor, that we all should be reminded of, that there will be a day we'll have to give an account. What is he speaking about there? Well, one thing to, to consider when it comes to shepherds, um, you know, we use the term under shepherd. Uh, in other words, uh, when it comes to an under shepherd, that uh, being a leader is you're not, um, how do we say this? You're not rogue. You know, you're not the end all be all of authority. And so the authority of, of for instance, of a pastor 
is insofar as he is preaching and teaching the word. And it's not his word to begin with. Uh, it's Christ's word. I mean, if you really think about the church itself as a whole, the church is a creation of the word and sacrament. Uh, Christ, uh, he, he proclaims this word and, and the church is formed as, as the church is gathered around that word and sacrament. So the church is not of human origin. Uh, me as a pastor, I have no authority as, as a flesh and blood man. The only authority that I have is, is that I've been called and ordained into an office to proclaim and to teach the word. And uh, boy, uh, God help me if I'm speaking Matt Richard's word as if it's what God's word. Um, Lord have mercy on me. In fact, that's probably one of the biggest fears I have that keep me up at night uh, is, is in my faithful to God's word versus the uh, word of man. And boy, I tell you what, it's easy to go down that road where, uh, you know, either by laziness or by anger or frustration, a pastor can, can easily speak out of turn and speak his own words uh, versus actually the word of God. So it's something to be very, very conscientious about and because you are, you're, you're, you're taking care of people's uh, souls, eternal, their eternal destination. Uh, that's not something to be taken lightly. Uh, what we say uh, as a pastor has eternal ramifications. And so I'm not just some rogue pastor. I'm, I'm underneath the uh, great shepherd of the sheep, which is Christ. And uh, I am simply just a steward, a, a mouthpiece of this gospel to uh, his sheep. Now, staying on the positive end of this, is it says at the end, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What, what words of encouragement maybe you would have that as a receiver of the gifts of, of a pastor, what are ways that they can um, support their pastor to make sure that he is not doing this job with groaning? <laughs> <laughs> and that he would do the job with joy. How would you how would you describe that to a lay person when they read this? Yeah, that's a very good question. We we actually talked about this here at St. Paul's the other day, and um, you know, I, I was visiting with them and 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 talking about preaching the sermon, and I, I was quite vulnerable with them. I said, you know, when when I get into the pulpit every Sunday, um, I'll stand in the pulpit, and we have a raised pulpit at St. Paul's, and I can see the whole sanctuary everybody below me and i can see the people in the balcony I have a really good view of everyone and i'll make the sign of the cross and i'll say in the name of jesus now i at that point in time two things go through my mind every single sunday when i step into that pulpit uh, on the one hand i say to myself uh, lord god i hope they're blessed by your word and then simultaneously at the same time i'm saying i hope i look good <laughs> <laughs> and and I tell them, I, you know, I, I, my, my sinful nature comes out and, and, and I get fearful. I want to people please. I want to look good. I want to sound good in front of them. And so I have that going through my mind every time I step on the pulpit for 18 plus years that happens every single Sunday. And I have to repent and say, Lord Jesus, hold me. Now, so with that stated, I told the people when they come through the line and they shake my hand and they say to me, Pastor Richard, uh, that was a good one. Um, my sinful nature grabs a hold of that and I'm saying, yep, that was a good one, Richard. <laughs> that was a good one. And, and, and I eat it up, you know, and I eat it up and, and my, my sinful nature gets the best of me on that. And, and my pride inflates. And so we, we talked about this and I just said, this is a weakness of your pastor. This is a weakness that I have. So what you can do to bless me and to also understand my, my, my failings as a pastor that I want to people please is when you come through the line, the best thing that you can say is in the words of a, of a former parishioner who passed away two years ago, he would come through and he'd shake my hand. He'd say, Reverend. And I'm like, yes, Dennis. He goes, 
thank you for the gifts. Thank mm. you for the gifts. And uh, gosh, I get, I get teared up even just thinking about Dennis right now. Thank you for the gifts. So I told him, I said, you know, when you come through the line, you can just simply say, thank you for the gifts. Because those gifts are not mine. I mean, it's not like I, I, I bled and died on the cross for them. I'm simply delivering those gifts. And then I said, the other thing you can simply say too, with the sermon, instead of saying good sermon pastor, you can say, God be praised for his word of law and gospel today. God be praised for his word. And so <laughs> people come through at St. Paul's, they say, hey, pastor, good sermon. No, 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 wait, terrible sermon, pastor. It was a terrible sermon. God be praised. <laughs> so they, <laughs> so they, they knocked me down. Um, but, but yeah, to, to, I, think, I think for the average pastor, the most joy that a pastor can have is to know that his sheep are receiving and hearing the word and being nourished by it. There's no greater joy uh, to know that his flock are what? hearing the word, receiving the word, rejoicing in the word, uh, receiving the gifts. And uh, boy, I tell you what, I miss Dennis because I was so encouraged. Thank you for the gifts. And then I could say with Dennis, yeah, the gifts are good, aren't they, brother? And he'd say, yeah, wow. good gifts. And so- What, what a blessing. What yep. a blessing. Thank you for sharing that. And it's a good example for all of you, our listeners, is how can you encourage your pastor? Because as pastor said, when you, you step into the pulpit, your mind's running a mile a minute, and you're always trying to think of ways of encouraging your people. So think of ways you can encourage your pastor, not just nice haircut or even necessarily a good sermon, but, you know, thank you for the gifts is, that's near and dear to my heart. I love, I love that kind of language because then you know you're doing what God has called you to do. Now, Pastor, I want to uh, take this in a new direction, but we're going to have to do it after our break. And the new direction is this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. But what if the leaders are not being faithful? Right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 13 with Pastor Matthew Richard, and we will be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 13 with Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Now, Pastor, here, here's a scenario I want to lay out, which is true. We've had members here at our congregation who had to leave a, another congregation because of the church body that they were part of made decisions in 2009 about marriage, about uh, clergy and morality that were not in line with Scripture. And part of that was the pastors would stand up and say, this is not a sin. Which to that point, what do you do when a faithful Christian person says, but I'm supposed to obey my leaders and submit to them? What advice would you give to them? Or what are your thoughts of, of, of that kind of scenario? Yeah, unfortunately, I've had, had that conversation with uh, parishioners um, actually uh, far and wide uh, through social media conversations. Oftentimes I'll get a, a text message from someone saying, hey, I need to talk to you privately, Pastor Richard. 
and just had to throw this by and uh, need some advice. And uh, what I typically do is I typically, uh, number one is if, if you suspect something incorrect from the pulpit or you suspect uh, some um, wrong teaching per se, uh, number one, you have to discern as a parishioner, is that false teaching? Uh, did my pastor speak wrong? Okay. Now, how you discern that, it, it has to be gauged against something else other than a personal opinion. Uh, and the way that we gauge that, uh, what correct teaching is, is obviously from the scriptures and also our confessions, which would be the Book of Concord. And so I can recall once I had a, I had a lady that came into my office and boy, she was she was pretty livid, uh, pretty angry with me. And from a sermon that I, I had ta- uh, preached the previous week, and uh, she, she sat down and she opened up her study Bible and she pointed to the footnote and she read the footnote to me and she said, there, you're wrong. And I said, well, let me, let me look at that, that study Bible. And I looked at it and I said, well, unfortunately, I'm not trying to be rude, but, but this is a charismatic Pentecostal study Bible and we're Lutherans here. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, 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 you know if, if this was a Pentecostal church, then, then you would have a basis for your, your, your argument or your concern. But we're a Lutheran church and we're governed by the scriptures and the confessions. So number one, if you hear something from your pastor that maybe doesn't sit well with you, I would, I would challenge the parishioner first, to, first and foremost to go and dig and to discern, uh, is this erring according to God's word and our confessions? And okay, so let's just say it is. Then step two would be quite simple. Uh, go to your pastor, uh, talk to him. Uh, there have been situations and times I know where I have misspoken, where it's come out wrong, or the way that I've said it uh, maybe could have been stated better. And I've had situations where a couple of really faithful parishioners uh, have said, you know, Pastor Richard, you said this. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I could have said that a whole lot better and a whole lot less confusing. I said, thank you so much. And then the next Sunday, um, you know, in the Bible study or somehow you, you clarify that and, and you state it more clearly. And uh, a faithful pastor does not want to have uh, sowing discord. So a, a faithful pastor will definitely work to clean that up. But let's just say, uh, number three, if that pastor, uh, you know, you talk to that pastor, uh, this is almost a sub point of number two, if, if the pastor does not agree and he's like, nope, and he's not holding faithful towards his um, ordination vows and the confessions and, and the scriptures, uh, then I would, I would suggest the parishioner examine ways of, of, you know, going up the food chain, if you will, uh, perhaps talking to, you know, another ecclesiastical authority above that pastor and following the proper protocol and how that's handled. And, um, I'm not sure how each district works in our Missouri center, each church works and outside the Missouri Synod, but there, there are protocols, that should be followed for the sake of, of the Eighth Commandment, putting the best construction on it, and working through those proper means of, uh, uh, of authority to, to bring about a proper resolution of the pastor. And then at that point, if, if everything is exhausted and the pastor does not repent and there's no backing from those who are in authority up above, then at that point, I would suggest then, then unfortunately, you're at that, that place in that point where you would have to leave the congregation to go find another faithful congregation. Uh, but up to that point, I don't think... If you have one bad sermon from a pastor that you stomp and you leave the church, uh, I don't think that's faithful. Um, you need to to examine it according to the scripture and the confessions, approach the pastor, and then and then examine the different ways of recourse. And then when all those have been exhausted, you can say, you know what, uh, job well done, faithful servant. You were faithful. And then uh, shake the dust off your feet and move on. 
And that's where patience is greatly needed. It's it's no different than when you have a con- conflicted situation in your own family, is if you think it's going to be solved just by saying a few magic words, you know, this this can take a while because you're doing so as really the body of Christ. You're doing it as ones who have been redeemed, who have been baptized into one body, which is into Christ. And so that's my encouragement to our listeners. If you have those struggles, this isn't a struggle of you got rid of X or you don't stand in a certain place in church or you don't do that. We're not talking about that. Maybe that's a concern you can have and have that conversation. But when Pastor Richard's talking, we're talking about not holding true to the scriptures and to do so not, you're a heretic, I'm out, but to be able to have that conversation as a brother and sister in Christ. So thank you for that that overview and that review and reminder for us of how we love and care for each other as ones redeemed by him. Now I want to move forward as we as we look at this, because in 1819, I love how he 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 gives them instructions and then he brings it back of a way of this is how you can we can serve together and serve us. So verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, these verses are a little bit challenging. Um, and when you look at it in the context of everything, he asks, pray for us. What is, what is, what's going on here? Verses 18, 19. I think I think the key word is a good conscience, you know, and and the conscience is a is a precious thing uh, to have a clear conscience, and so the the author is saying, yeah, pray for us for for we are, um, uh, so we're persuaded. Let me get the right verse here. Pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Uh, again, it's important for to have a clear conscience because when the conscience is grieved, you can have all sorts of issues. Um, I don't think we pay enough attention in our modern society about the conscience itself. Uh, but my goodness, it's, it's, it's a, a precious commodity to have a, have a clear conscience in all things. And so what does it mean to have a clear conscience? Well, you know, if you think about a conscience is, is, is formed uh, from, from something. And, and so a conscience for the Christian is going to be formed and shaped by the word of God. And so when we do wrong, our conscience is then going to be grieved. Uh, but to have a clear conscience, a uh, clear conscience per se, is to be at rest, uh, essentially, to, to be at rest, to be uh, harmonized with that which is good. And so, uh, for instance, uh, you know, with comes to the duties of a pastor, to have a clear conscience that, uh, you know, especially with the, the situation of death, uh, dealing with somebody who's dying, to be able to say, you know what, I was faithful, I was there when I needed to be, uh, I said what I needed to do, and uh, I know that my conscience is clear that I that I delivered the word to them, and there's a, there's a there's a, an assurance that comes about from a clear conscience. But when the conscience is troubled, uh, what that ends up doing is is we end up um, it, it can lead to all sorts of things. We can lead to self justification. We can lead to excusing. We can lead to blaming. We can lead to all these different mechanisms to try to to uh, silence a troubled conscience. Ultimately, when our conscience is troubled, and rightly so, uh, the only way to have resolution for that troubled conscience is what we call confession, uh, to confess our sins. And then once sin is confessed, there's forgiveness. And that forgiveness that we hear puts the conscience at peace again. And so all of this, when is a time that we should pray for our leaders 
Um, uh, and I think that's what he's doing is pray for us to make sure we have a clear conscience. Why? I'm just I'm trying trying to just fish out here. How does a, a, a person do that? And when should we do it? How should we do it? What are, What are your thoughts on maybe some practicalities to this exhortation? Well, you know, it, it's 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 a hot hot topic right now. So it's I even cringe kind of bringing it up. But uh, <laughs> yeah. pastors have had to. Um, let's just be let's just be really honest. Pastors have had to struggle with the. Uh, the conscience when it comes to being faithful towards uh, the church and uh, we're thinking of the right hand kingdom. And then also at the same time, we have the uh, different uh, uh, executive orders and so forth of the left hand kingdom pertaining towards COVID. Um, one of the things I've noticed in the last year and a half to two years is uh, probably more than anything else with pastors and with church leaders in general is 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 a troubled conscience. So it's not necessarily during the whole COVID thing. Now, I don't want to minimize this by any means, but it's not not that during the whole COVID situation that we've been having uh, that for some pastors, let me just take this back. For some pastors, there's been an increased workload, no doubt about it, without a doubt, increased uh, funerals. I don't want to make light of that. But I know for other pastors, their workload has actually gone down because of services being canceled and so forth. But the stress in their lives is is through the roof, and they feel like they've been putting 80, 90 hours in a week. I mean, I don't know if 90 hours is possible, but you get the picture. And the reason being is the conscience is so deeply troubled uh, with, with this tension between, you know, being faithful to the Word of God, being faithful as a pastor, being faithful also as a citizen. Um, how do we be faithful to Caesar, and how do we be faithful to Christ at the same time? How do we how do we balance that? How do we work within that? And then we have all the fears, um, <clears throat> all the fears of the parishioners um, and all the opinions of parishioners and their their uh, background. So we have emotional needs of parishioners, we have physical needs of parishioners, we have the spiritual needs of parishioners, and 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 to have a clear conscience to know that I'm being faithful. And I think that that could be safely said that that uh, a good pastor is going to be very in tune with his conscience and he's going to be very, very much wanting to have a clear conscience where he knows that he's being faithful to his church, uh, to his parishioners. Um, pastors who don't have a conscience, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to spot. They're, they're like the hired hands that Jesus talks about. They're just in it for the paycheck. They have no invested interest in the sheep. But a faithful pastor is going to be con constantly burdened uh, to be faithful to his, to his um, sheep. And so sheep, uh, the parishioners are called uh, called to be praying for the pastor that his mind, uh, not only would he be faithful in what he says and does, but his conscience at the end of the day that he can rest in Christ himself. I reminded of a post that I once saw, and the statement said, be patient with your pastor. He's never been a pastor during a pandemic before. And I think that still relates to today um, because there are so many things that we just don't know, what do you do with that? And typically for me, I, I, I think I mentioned my, my dad's a pastor, and so I go to him. And then there's other situations where I'll go to another mentor or to another mentor. Well, the struggle that I had, and this weighed, us, weighed on you, even if you weren't, quote, working and running around for 70 hours a week, you were always thinking about it. You were always being worn out by that. And in many ways, I had no idea who to talk to because the mentor pastors who are older, they didn't, they've never pastored during a pandemic. 
Um, they could give opinions, but they didn't really have an experience with it. And you have all of this. So not only did you, you know, your conscience wasn't clear, you didn't even know where to get a clear conscience as far as what to do next, because nobody had gone through it before. So that was another reminder of why I encourage you, our listeners, to pray for your pastor, for us as pastors, to pray for our district presidents, for our synod president and other leaders, because there's so much that they have a seared and anxious conscience that we pray the Lord will assure them of the right relationship they have with him. Pastor, any other thoughts on those first few verses? You know, I would say that, you know, the whole idea of the, the conscience, not only pray for your pastor, but, uh, you know, there, there's a, a thing called, we, we call uh, social and emotional IQ. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and what can happen is, let's just say a parishioner is maybe um, offended or struggling with their pastor. Uh, generally speaking, if a pastor has a high social IQ, he can pick up on those issues that there might be tension. You know, maybe, you know, going through the line, you're, you know, maybe you're frustrated with your pastor and you don't shake the hand the, quite the same way or you maybe don't have eye contact. The pastor can pick up on that. So I would encourage um, when that happens uh, for parishioners, uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, go to your pastor. And if the pastor is, is, is a good pastor, he's going to welcome and I've had parishioners here at St. Paul's uh, numerous times. You know, I had one parishioner a while back, just, Pastor, I'm angry with you. All right. Well, hold on. Wow, that's gr- I was actually like thankful. I'm like, okay, now th- that makes sense. Let's let's talk about it. And we went through it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, uh, if I were in your shoes, I'd be angry at me too. So thank you so much. And I got to repent. I, I was I was able to repent and say, I'm sorry. And the parishioner forg- forgave me. That's It's beautiful. And then my conscience is no longer burdened by uh, social IQ, uh, the social IQ, the thing you pick up on. And so uh, when it comes to it, you get praying for your pastor and then going to him uh, and understand the pastor is a sinner too. And uh, sometimes uh, you can be that person that can go to him to help set things right and uh, to talk. And then that builds trust. My goodness, that builds trust when you can go to your pastor and work things through. Uh, it's, it's actually quite a beautiful thing. So the author moves us from some exhortations to a blessing, the benediction. And this blessing is phenomenal. I mean, it is so packed full. Like I, like I mentioned at the beginning, is it, it's one of those benedictions that I've kind of just flown through, but it has so much um, richness to it and also a practicality for us in our own lives to receive it and also to give it. So verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the title here says benediction. What is the author um, saying and doing for the people with these words? Yeah, it's 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 a final blessing. And, and uh if you think of a blessing, it bestows something upon us. And, and I, I just, I, you know, as a pastor, uh, you know, on Sundays, one of my, I have a couple favorite parts in the sanctuary, but one of my, one of my favorite parts, now it's not because the service is over. <laughs> so, but it's, it's the benediction when, when I, when I raise my hand and I, and I, and I, and I extol a blessing on the people and I raise my hand and you can just see the people in the pew, they just kind of you can see in their facial re- receptions that they're receiving this, that this is this is a word put in their ears and upon them. Uh, and so we're right here, now may the God of peace, 
Uh, this is this is it's kind of a, a doxology. It's kind of a prayer and a blessing all at the same time. But you have some wonderful gospel in here. Uh, may the God of peace. Um, think about this. This word peace. Um, we, we oftentimes think of peace as a feeling, but uh, as we hear in the book of Romans, the epistle of Romans, uh, peace is a right standing before God, all, God Almighty, uh, not having to worry about the wrath of God, that the wrath of God has been poured out upon Christ for our sin. And so then we stand at peace, um, that, 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 that uh, we're not uh, recipients of wrath, that Jesus is in our stead. Uh, that peace is, is phenomenal. Uh, it, it's a, a status of peace that I'm the baptized. And then you see they're, they're, they're brought back from the dead. Uh, my goodness, uh, the, the resurrection. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just taken back, you know, not to, to beat on COVID over and over and over, but I, I've noticed more and more, uh, actually it's been for quite some time, we have how we're bombarded by fear. Uh, the average person is bombarded by fear. And so we, we have, you know, fear is a re, re, result of sin and death, and we have fear uh, in our culture. And many people go around, they say, you know, I'm not fearful, but deep down, we're all fearful. We're all fearful of death. And then yet Jesus comes along and he says over and over and over, I'm trying to recall how many times, it's like 130 times if I'm not mistaken, you know, do not fear, fear not. And he says this over and over and over. Now, if, if I were to say like to you, Brady, hey, you know, you know Brady, don't, don't fear, um, I really don't have the authority authority or the ability to do that because I fear myself. You know, I fear, I fear death. I fear suffering. I fear a lot of things. But here you got Christ who says, do not fear. And he's actually one who did something about it. You know, he, he actually did something about the cause of fear, which is sin and death. So sin and death produce fear. He did something about sin. He atoned for it. And he did something about death. He rose from the grave. He bust, he busted out of the jaws of death and he's, he's a resurrected man, flesh and blood. So when he tells us not to fear, he actually has the authority to back it up because he did something about it. And so when we read this, uh, we have peace with God because of Christ. Jesus has been brought back from the dead. And as he's risen, we will rise too, in spite of what happens to us in this, uh, as we muddle through this life, uh, this life under the sun. Now, as we look at this, the, the blessing he gives to them is also, like you said about your, your bride, we are, we are to bless other people, specifically pastors. Why is, like you said, at the end of a service, people kind of perk up a little bit. And I actually, as you said that, not only because the service is ending, I've had people tell me that too. Like, that's my favorite part of the service. And inevitably, someone in the room says, oh, it's because it's the ending of the service, right? And many people say, no, not at all. It's that final blessing. Um, why is that such a powerful thing, especially with this benediction? Why is that such a powerful thing for people when they hear this, these words? Well, the blessing is bestowed upon you. And, you know, I, I, I've, I make it a very much a custom in our family uh, to bless my kids. You know, I'll grab my son, put my arms on around him, and I look at him, and I, and I, and I grab him, and, and I pronounce a blessing, and I reach up, and I put a cross on his head. Uh, my dad used to, when I was a kid, he used to draw a cross on my head. There's something about being touched by the hand and with the cross, it's just kind of the feeling stays there. But then, then you go, you go with the blessing and you go back into your vocations, you go back to your homes, you go back into your schools and, and, and so forth. You go knowing that, uh, you know, man, I, 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 I like what my, my wife did, you know, you belong to Jesus. You go knowing with that assurance that, uh, I have peace with God, knowing that, that, that as bad as it gets, I'm going to be resurrected someday. Uh, 
that I have a great shepherd uh, who is his Christ and that uh, he has forgiven me of my sins and that it, it's, it's, it gives an identity in a lot of ways. Um, maybe, maybe another way to think about this is there's a, there's a big, big fancy word out there called ontology. And it's kind of the study of being of who am I, you know, what, what is my identity? And we have in, in our society and culture, we have so many people trying to figure out who they are and trying to identify who am I? Well, that bestowal, that blessing, uh, is put upon us, it, it speaks to that issue of what we call ontology, who I am, my being. I'm one blessed as a child of God. I'm one who uh, has favor with God. I'm one that, uh, you know, I can go out if I'm scorned and mocked by all my classmates, if I'm, if I'm rejected by my, my uh, coworkers, and if I have struggles in my family, I can still go knowing I'm one of the blessed. I, I belong to Jesus. I'm the redeemed. I'm been not purchased with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so we go with an identity of one being blessed and bestowed upon the name of Jesus. One of the great moments we had last week was Pastor Ben Dose, who's a pastor in Iowa. We talked about having confidence in Christ. I mean, this is a this is a this is a common theme throughout the book of Hebrews. And he read a number of parts of Hebrews to his children as they were going to their first day of school. And I thought that was a great, and that connects exactly with what you're saying is whether you go to school and have a horrible day, you know you are blessed. Whether you go to school and have a great day, you know you are blessed. And blessed because, as it says so beautifully here, um, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, that this is, you are washed clean, another great language in, in Hebrews, that it shows your, your identity and that, that's one of the aspects, as you were talking, that I think is so vital today because our, our identity is to be in acronyms. You know, what, what, what are you on the spectrum of all of this? Uh, questions about, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? You read, watch the news, you watch TV, you, you read the paper, all these things. You're not exactly sure what to believe about anything, but this blessing also enacts, like you said, bestows on blessing on the person, but also reminds them of their identity. I don't want to belabor this too much, but I want to make sure that you, our listeners, understand the power of blessing from your pastor. And I think as parents, especially fathers to their children, and also, as we talked about before, of of Christian to Christian, why it's so important. And I think, especially with identity. Any last thoughts on on benediction and blessings? Well, we have to understand that the blessing is, is... We have to be careful that we don't we don't understand it as a as a works righteousness perspective. You know, the blessing is given to us. You know, you think about this. You just think about this. We enter into the church service on Sundays and we confess. We stand up shoulder to shoulder. Say, hey, you know, I'm I'm a poor miserable sinner. I've sinned in thought, word, and deed. I've 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 made a mess of it this week, Lord God. I really have in in what I've said and what I've done and with my wife and my husband and my children and my job. And oh, I just, I just, it's just, it's just, it's a disaster out there. And then we get the absolution and then we get uh, the, the, the sermon preached into our ears, poured into our ears. And then we get the body and blood of Christ dumped upon our tongue and into our bellies. And then just to make sure we got it, it's, um, Hey, as you go, uh, this is how the Lord feels about you. And this is who you are for him. Uh, it is. It's 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 confidence not in ourselves. It's not confidence in what we bring to the table. It's it's confidence what the Lord gives us at the table. It's confidence of what He has delivered to us, and so it it's uh, holding on to that and something from the outside that's not dependent upon our feelings and um, nothing we contribute to, but it's all sheer gift. 
I love the ending and I want to get there because we're about five minutes left in our time together because that final greeting that you have written here reminds me of the final greetings that you give to a loved one, maybe how you end a letter, maybe how the last thing you talk to them. In Minnesota, it's always the long Minnesota goodbye because we always have something more to share in that last moment before you get to the car. And so here, um, he doesn't take an hour like a good Minnesotan would do, but he does give us a lot to chew on and to remember in only a short few words, 22 till the end. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, send your greetings. Grace be with you all. Now, these final greetings seem pretty insignificant, but I, I think it does show us the connections the author had with the people that he was not like he was he was definitely a a, a pastor who was invested as you said too um with these individuals or a leader and and i think there's a lot in there that relates to us today what are your thoughts well i think right away we see the word brother and uh you know it, we, we see that over and over and over in the scriptures uh, especially the epistles the word brother and we sometimes maybe just gloss over it but to call someone a brother, um, that's pretty profound. I mean, to, to be a brother that 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 indicates you're of the same family. Uh, you're not you're not uh, you know going to say hey stranger. Um, you know, it's hey brother. There's there's an intimacy to that. Um, just like the word child, you know, like uh, the word child. Uh, that that's a very very intimate word as well. There's there's a possession to it. If you're someone's your your child, there's a possession. There's an authority over over them to take care of them. Uh, the word brother also then communicates uh, that we're in this together. We stand uh, shoulder to shoulder uh, in this together. And there's 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 an empathy, um, not an apathy or sympathy, but an empathy with them that, that we're, we're shoulder to shoulder in this. So I appeal to you, brothers. Uh, that's a beautiful word to think about a brother. And um, again, and then we talked about this before uh, at the very end, that grace be with you all, uh, how succinct that is and right to the point. And uh, really, it's grace, the grace of what? The grace of Christ for us, who is our high priest, the one who is our substitutionary atonement, the one who atoned for everything for us. And uh, apart from Christ, uh, we're not brothers. And apart from Christ, there is no grace. But in Christ, uh, we're brothers uh, in faith, and we have grace. One of the great language here he uses is the relationship. So he brings up Timothy, which we know in the New Testament as a as a pastor, a young pastor that, that traveled with Paul and others. And, and he speaks about that relationship. So, and Hey, by the way, Timothy is going through this. And then he says, greet all your leaders and all the saints and those who come from Italy. So obviously there was a connection with Italy. I, for my research, I didn't find a whole lot on those things. Um, but it does show to me, as I read that it shows the connections that were there and the body of Christ, the, the, we, a lot of times here at Messiah Lutheran, we'll talk about the Messiah family that connects even to those who maybe had to move away or those kind of situations. Why is that an important piece? We have about two minutes left here, pastor, the final greetings and the relationships that we have in Christ, why he brings it up and why is that important for us today? Well, I think it's right there in the word saint. He said, greet all your leaders and all the saints. And to think about this, that we are actually saints because of Christ, uh, washed clean. Um, this comes back to all the Hebrews, this uh, uh, sacrificial language about the one true sacrifice 
uh, who is the propitiation for our sins. And as a result of Christ, uh, we are we're saints. And so I, 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 I once had this conversation with a person once about uh, this terminology. I would say uh, to the parish, my previous parish, and I do here to a certain extent, but I say my baptized saints. Uh, and the word my includes a, a term in endearment. Uh, baptized is their identity, what happened to them, and saints is who they are before Christ. And so to call someone a saint, uh, shoulder to shoulder, a brother and a saint, uh, that's pretty profound because then, you, again, you're appealing to our, their identity, that they're forgiven, they're washed, they're in Christ. And so, yeah, you got this wonderful language of brothers. You have this wonderful language of um, of, of leaders and the, all the saints, uh, not referring to them according to their confession, but according to the forgiveness of who they are uh, as the forgiven ones in Christ. And then that very final one, again, as we mentioned before, grace be with you all uh, and imparting, again, of that grace uh, to them all. Pastor, as we end the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 13, but if you have anything else, we have about 30 seconds left. How would you summarize this wonderful book in these last few verses? You know, I, I, I once uh, heard it said uh, really quite, quite correctly uh, that as you go through the book of Hebrews, it highlights Christ. And then uh, somewhere in chapter 6, I believe, 6, 7 in that area, it says, let us then uh, go on. And, and there's a sense where you can maybe read that thinking, okay, now we got Jesus covered. We should go on to other things and we leave Christ. But <laughs> the author goes, let us go on. Uh, and, and he continues into Christ, uh, the depths of Christ, uh, being plunged into him. And so really what we learn from Hebrews and we learn from all of Scripture is our movement as a Christian is never away from Christ to, to independence, as it's been said before, but it is moving always to abide in Christ, to be dependent. And so we never drift away from Jesus. We're always drifting back, uh, being returned back to him in repentance and faith, always abiding and trusting in him uh, from our baptism all the way to our last breath and into eternity. Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, giving us God's strong word from Hebrews chapter 13. Pastor Richard, thank you for the gifts. Absolutely. It's good to be here. Saints of our Lord, the author tells us to obey, submit, pray, but he doesn't stop there. He gives a blessing to remind us of a clear conscience that we have with Christ, and he shows that we are not in this alone. Not only do we have brothers, sisters, the saints of our Lord Jesus, but we also know that our Lord is near. That's what Hebrews is about, because it all comes back to Jesus. So fix your eyes on Jesus, saints of our Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.